Hello and welcome to People of Tech and part two of our interview with John Lewis and Partners Data Protection and Information Security Officer Steve Wright. I'm your host Charles Commons. If you haven't already heard part one then now would be the time to go and do so. In last week's episode... John Lewis has been around for over 100 years. It is and was then a department store. So my role was to bring together these disparate teams and see where harmonisation and efficiency could be driven through. And in particular about how we were addressing the threats, because the threats were obviously exactly the same for JL as they were for Waitrose. It's a tough, tough business, the CISO and the DPO. It is a bit of a thankless task. You don't get, you know, pat on the back for being told, guess what, you thwarted another attack, well done. In part two, we're focusing more on what it's like to work as a data protection and security officer. Steve will discuss how he got to his role and the changes he has seen happen, as well as his thoughts on the challenges ahead. To start off, though, Steve takes us through what a day in the office looks like for him. Well, uh, okay. Mm, Good question. So the hardest part of my job at the moment is trying to carve out time to meet uh, with new um, people, with the stakeholders, and, you know, just have time to think about more strategically about are we heading in the right direction is this effective is there you know what what can we do to improve it so the first part about planning the day is is trying to give myself time in between those meetings not only to physically get from meeting to meeting but also just uh, time to absorb and, and think about any potential actions that come out of that I personally try to leave a sort of block for lunchtime, but it rarely is, involves lunch. It's usually time to respond or time to sort of take my notes that I've scribbled down and, and, and turn them into an action or an email, etc. Or it's a time for phone call. My days for for doing most of my um, phoning back and, 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 and tend to be Fridays. So by the end of the week, um, that's a day that I try to keep a bit clearer in terms of diary time. <laughs> Invariably, I end up spending the entire day on the phone. But each day is is sort of constructed in a way that will allow the right meetings to go ahead. And that's a real pressure, I would say. Anyone at my level is under tremendous pressure to to keep our stakeholders happy, but also to manage the teams and, you know, to to keep the team happy is a big part of that. And that that requires listening to them and and sitting with them and having a coffee, etc., making them feel valued. Um, and ensuring that their needs are met as well as your own in terms of your your my boss and uh, my senior stakeholders making sure that they felt listened to and heard so it, so it's a, it's a constant balancing act and being in two places at once is is probably the biggest pressure is, is it fair to say then that you might wake up one one morning and say, right, today this is how it's going to go, and then as soon as you walk through the door at, at your office, it's completely changed and, and you've got to completely start again from scratch in, in regards to what your day is going to look like? 
Yeah, I think I think that's fair. It is really hard to. I try. I try not to um, break the meetings that are in play. But some mornings, you know, or typically in the evening, um, you, you know, you'll get a call, you'll be notified about an incident that needs investigation. And so you have to pull the team together and you sort of have a bit of a stand up meeting, which, you know, gives clear direction for everybody. So they know what they're doing, how to contain it or, and how to investigate it and the sort of time frame and some people involved. So that those incidents are the biggest disruptor. We also have a number of, um, if you like, uh, rights requests that sometimes come through to us that are disguised as a complaint or disguised as, you know, an inquiry. And then we have to get to the bottom of that. And that sometimes can be very distracting, especially if the ICO, the commissioner is is involved with that, um, the regulator. You know, we, we, we have to respond to it quickly and we have to make sure we got our facts straight. So it's not just the incidents. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's the investigations. Um, and again, it's often can be situations with staff. You know, I've got a team of 30 now. Obviously, I've got team leaders that look after those teams. But, you know, some, some of those issues get escalated quickly uh, and we have to resolve. So you've been working in data security and privacy roles since 1992. Um what qualifications did you need to get into the security sector, Steve? Okay, so qualifications. Look, I'm very careful about how I answer this because I think a lot of the qualifications are it helps to have good understanding from a sort of computer science, you know, about how technology works. And so, so if you've studied that at a degree level, then I think that puts you in a a, you know, a better way. Um, equally, I would say on the privacy side, if you've studied law and you've understood the the, the different concepts of law and the different models of law, um, that really helps in terms of the privacy space. But I do also believe that sometimes it's the skills about listening and being able to probe and and try to elicit the right, you know, the the, the information. It is really important skills to have, you know. So yes, you've got to get your qualifications. You know, many many years ago, uh, I did the CISSP. Um, I've done various others. I've got so many acronyms after my name, I can't remember. And they were all very helpful in terms of internalising what all of that technology meant and how that could, you know, help that organization and help that business or stave off threats from materializing. I think finally, I think risk, you know, I, I had the pleasure of working as, as a sort of trainee underwriter for, for a risk insurance company. And that I, I'm still to this day, uh, you know, how you model risk and how you appreciate, you know, how a risk can actually materialize. And therefore, you know, back then we were setting premiums accordingly. And obviously, if, if, you, if you set the premium wrong and you made a loss, then you weren't very popular. So, so it was all about assessing the risk and then putting the appropriate level of safeguard or control or whatever the re, you know, prerequisites were. 
And I think that's a really good basis for both privacy and security because you, it is about assessing the risk. You're constantly making judgments. And all what happens as you get older, I suppose a bit wiser, is you realize that sometimes you, you need to really think through the possibilities before you make a decision and, and, and weigh those, those possibilities up to see what's going to be the right answer, the right solution for your, for your organization or the, or the particular risk you're facing into. So how has your role changed then since you first started working in the field? Has there been a massive, massive change in terms of digital transformation uh, and data protection? Yeah, I think so. The, I think the onus has, I'd say there's one thing that recently in the last few years that's really become prevalent. Digital transformation is about change. And it's really important that you take people with you on that journey. And, and that that's very hard to do if you are a technologist through and through, or if you uh, maybe are a risk person or, or whatever your specialism is. I think the recognition of the importance of culture and how we change culture and, and, and people's attitudes towards both risk, you know, in, in security and and obviously the rights and how people feel accountable around those is absolutely paramount to what I've seen happening in the, in the industry. And then the second part, I believe, um, is is the, the use of AI and machine learning in terms of accelerating and identifying those patterns that you wouldn't sometimes miss or you would not think about. And I think what, what I've witnessed over the last few years is, is the obviously explosion in computing power capability and how that's benefiting not just, you know, a shopper in their user experience, so it's much more fluid and, 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 and appropriate to that individual, but just in my world in terms of how, how we can utilise that information to, to spot those patterns that we would never have otherwise met or just the, the sheer computing power of taking all those monitoring devices and consolidating that and saying hang on this this looks like something um, and then we can go off and investigate it's obvious that steve has witnessed a lot of changes over his years within data security and that there are plenty more to come in the future while i digest what is possibly to come for steve it's time to take a break we'll be back in a minute Content marketing is, it's our obsession. Consumers are always being bombarded with content. So white papers, mostly they are used, I guess, to persuade people. When you're refreshing content, really you're updating it. Go through your notifications every day and respond to people that are connecting with you. We've seen a real fundamental shift in the dynamics of marketing over the last 10 to 15 years. Tech Demand Weekly, the weekly podcast for marketing professionals. Now they know that I'm not just playing the sport for fun, I'm watching the scoreboard. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to People of Tech. Before the break, Steve Wright took us through how he arrived in his position as Data Protection and Information Security Officer at John Lewis.
Now though, I want to know about Steve's public speaking. Steve has been invited to speak at many conferences across Europe and I wanted to know what he hopes those who attend take back to their office desks after they've heard him speak. I always hope that I can give them some tips about, um, you know, and, and at the same time challenge their conventional thinking about this particular problem or this, you know, program. You know, GDPR, lots and lots of people have been, you know, rushing to, to, to do key aspects of, of GDPR. Um, you know, records of processing, data subject rights, those privacy by design. So my name is Steve Wright. I work for John Lewis Partnership. I've been there about 18 months. And I'm assuming because you're here, you're here to understand about GDPR. It's not always about that. The, you know, the, the guiding principle of GDPR is about accountability. And so if I can challenge people when they come and hear me at an event um, to just to, you know, probe and think differently about how they're demonstrating that accountability and how that's actually working in, in, in real time, then I think, you know, that that's a good thing. And obviously, if I can give them the lessons that I've learned, um, you know, we, we, without doubt, you know, even within our programme, um, we were definite mistakes we made in the early in the early stages. Getting born into data mapping, um, could, you know, can become a massive distraction. Um, so, so trying to think about where the critical data is, and you know, both structured and unstructured, and, and then how you assess those risks um, will help you then sort of prioritise and, and make sure you're focusing on securing the the most at risk bits of data as well as demonstrating compliance and ensuring rights um, as, as an individual that we all uh, sort of now have the pleasure of enjoying under GDPR, you know, across the continent. So what do you see as the biggest challenge that you and other businesses might be facing in the next 12 months then, Steve? I think cloud. We ourselves are migrating to the cloud on a number of different areas it's the cost of storage has obviously come down so that that's not necessarily the issue but i think with gdpr coming along challenging us about what we, you know what, what we're using the data for and how long we use it for it's no longer just the cost element of, of data storage or data uh, capacity it you know, we're going into the cloud because the functionality and the, and the availability of it is, is so much easier. But I think for CISOs and for data protection officers, you know, worldwide, the question of jurisdiction and adequacy for the data being used by different parts of the world and being accessed is now really come to bear. Um, and I do think that's going to get a lot harder the relationship between the processor and the controller is now much more blurred. Um, and, you know, I think every organization has had to look at its contractual arrangements with those third parties. Um, you know, the press naturally don't, you know, if John Lewis third party was to have a data breach, it would be John Lewis, not, not the third party that gets publicity. So I think the whole supply chain 
challenge is just going to continue to grow in the next year. I think the challenges around blockchain is going to continue to grow. And I would say that the fact that we're migrating massive amounts to the cloud and just in terms of the jurisdiction and making sure that the the legal grounds for doing so is appropriate, but but also, you know, are we okay with with having that data accessible in, you know, in, in a data center in the other side of the world? And then finally, I think the expectations of us as consumers, I mean, certainly in the UK, um, but also I sort of on the speaking circuit around Europe and beyond. And, you know, the expectations of the UK consumer is far greater than, say, somewhere like Italy or, or Greece or something like that. We are quite an educated consumer here in the UK. And I think that pressure will just continue to grow and, and, and become much more um, questionable about what we're doing with the data and how we're handling the data, I think, as we increase our understanding about our rights, I think that will just grow and grow. Personally, I think we're going to see individual test cases, you know, class action increasing, as well as the sort of traditional enforcement actions that we're, we're now anticipating, obviously, with poor old British Airways, but, but other organizations as they have breaches, we're going to see much more of those test cases coming through. So I think the litigation side of it, it is going to be problematic for the industry. working life then completely consumed by technology and data by the sounds of it anyway yeah how do you switch off from it all what what is your your light switch moment how would you get away from it uh, <laughs> i go running with my dog uh, <laughs> and cycling but i also I, I mean i'm very fortunate i live in the country in kent um that's how i switch off i also you know will switch off by watching um, nature programs <laughs> um, or, or even Netflix or, or, you know, the BBC iPlayer. Um, so, so that's my sort of my away time. But, but I would say mainly switching off is achieved through running and cycling, which, which I love and I do most days. So that's, that's how I cope, I think. I'm a runner as well. Now, when I go out for a run, I, I, it's because I've usually got to the point where I've gone, I'm over. I'm, I'm overwhelmed here. I can't, you know, I can't quite seem to get my ideas to come out of my head and and go into, you know, what I'm actually doing. And I go out for a run, and suddenly when I get back, everything's okay. That's exactly the feeling I've got. So I live on the downs. I'd say that that helped me cope with GDPR because that was incredibly stressful. I know a number of DPOs, unfortunately, that went on sick leave. You know, with the with the sheer amount of physical and mental pressure that that put on us, the boards and the audit committees. And I think my only way that I got through that was was pretty much running. And also, actually, uh, sorry, I have a faith as well. So that, that helped me <laughs> tremendously. But certainly clearing, clearing my mind, you know, through physical exercise is, is just brilliant, really brilliant. My thanks to Steve Wright. Steve can be found at his website, privacyculture.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, I'll be speaking with security researcher Scott Helm.
Thanks for listening to People of Tech with me, Charles Commons. I'll see you next week.